podcast on this Monday evening. Uh, with me tonight, we have my co-host, as always, Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. And we have two guests from Nightfall Games. We have got Jared Earl. <laughs> and Mark Rapson. Gentlemen, so, who are you? What do you do? Give us your thing. You go, Jared. Oh, all right. I'm Jared Earl. Um, I write and do book production for Nightfall Games, mostly on Slay Industries, but I've been doing... um, What's the swearing policy on this podcast? You can swear all you want. We're like Surlers. I've been doing a shitload of work on uh, Terminator and the Stokerverse RPGs that we've been doing, along with Mark. Uh, but mostly I sh- mostly I should be doing Slay, but I, I can't keep my hands off everything. Can't <laughs> can't help myself. Um I've been doing Nightfall games since nineteen ninety three when I met up with Dave Allsop. We used to work at sorry, nineteen ninety one I met Dave. We when we worked at Fantasy Forge together in Edinburgh and we both got kicked out around the same time and then bumped into each other afterwards and started up Nightfall Games because we have lots of things to do. Right. Uh, it was the pair of us and uh, Anne Boylan, who's an old friend of ours, and we started Nightfall Games. Within the first year, we were bought by Wizards of the Coast, so I then became a Wizards of the Coast employee, took magic around Europe, um, did that until 1998, and then escaped <laughs> from the games industry to go and work in IT because it paid better. And I did that for a while. And then, then gaming... They, I, I, then, I moved over to Paris for seven years, worked over there doing IT for various companies, then moved back to Scotland. When I did, I met back up with Dave Allsop, and we got doing PDFs of Slay, just little fun things to buy us beer and that sort of thing. And that rolled over into a disastrous Kickstarter where we were hoodwinked by a couple of idiots that then turned into being rescued by Mark Rapson, who you can see in one of these corners. I can't work out which one he is on your stream. Um <laughs> And we restarted Nightfall as a proper let's have a go at it to get ourselves out of the trouble that we got dropped into with the Cannibal Sector 1 Kickstarter. And Mark's edition made it um, an absolute blast. And we were able to, the three of us, get Nightfall back together. We had Chris Jefferson also writing the rules for us at the time. Um, but it's, it's boiled down to the, the core three of us at the moment. And we're, we're still at it and couldn't be happier. I like this incarnation a lot. Yeah, and we're we, productive, yeah, really yes. productive, which I'm shocked by. Slay Industries <laughs> made a big impression when it was first released in the 90s. I mean, it, I never had a chance yeah. to play it, unfortunately, just lack of opportunity more than anything else. Mm. But it looked, it was visually striking. It looked amazing. Yes, we didn't know that you weren't able to... Well, we basically had a philosophy at the beginning that we wanted our book to be able to be put on the bookshelf next to anything in the Virgin Megasaur and looked like it was supposed to be there. And we were aiming at the um, Battletech, Vampire, D&D, obviously, um, and all the other games that we saw on the bookshelves there. That's what we wanted to be. We wanted to have that production quality. Um, and no, none of this fanzine stapled 32-page uh, books with a four-page card cover. No, we, we had to either do it properly go big or go home so we decided to go big we didn't know that there was things that we did that we weren't supposed to be able to do because we didn't know we were we weren't supposed to be able to do them i mean the whole books were put together on an atari st well I wow i had an atari st two. <laughs> we i had two and then and eventually we got a third one 
Um, and that's what we use. We use an application called Retouche Professional for scanning the art in. And we had to turn something through 90 degrees. We had to leave it overnight and then put it back on the floppy in the morning because wow, four mega memory is not going to get you far. And wow, the, no. the software we used was a thing called um, Dido. We used Dido um, and Calamus to do uh, the actual page layout. German software that was translated. All, all the product productivity software for the Atari ST in the 90s was German. So I had the... <laughs> Translate. I don't, Germany went mad for the ST. It was weird. It was, it was so always, I had that, all these fight. It was always that fight software. between Amiga owners and Atari ST owners. So it was like, yeah. I was an Atari ST. A lot of my friends were Good Amiga. Lad. And it was just sort of like, it was like the Sega Nintendo war, but on sort of like personal computers. Did, yeah. <laughs> did, you know, did you know that the old Atari STs are still being used today in commercial production? Yeah, really? because the Amiga isn't. Yeah, the musicians, um, Fatboy Slim, for instance, has a has a cupboard full of old STs, just you know, unopened, unused, in case his current one dies that he can replace with, because the MIDI synchronization chip on them is actually less has less latency than any of the up till recently any of the PC cards because of the clock cycles it worked on and the clock cycles that MIDI worked on. It was it it's still used with the little monochrome monitor still used in recording studios up and down the country. No way. That's mad. Didn't know that then. Yeah, there you, <laughs> go. you learn something new every day. You learn on this podcast. Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, that's what we're here I mean, for, ladies and gents. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm an um, Amiga owner. Ah, I'm that, but one thing, though, the Amigas uh, were used to create the uh, SFX on Babylon 5. Not quite. They were used to genlock the effects. Oh. The Amiga had a video synchronization chip on it called that you could plug in called a genlock, yeah. which allowed you to overlay video. And it's, it's how they ended up in USTV studios. Yeah, these videos because and stuff. You know, the, you know the chirons they have across the bottom of screens where it has the the news breaking news yeah. things. That's that's called a chiron, and that's used of overlaid using something uh, to synchronize the frequency with the video feed and the digital feed and that's that was uh on the amiga that was called a genlock and they use that to um to do all the overlays of graphics but they did do the graphics you are right that they did do the cgi on amigas yeah but they used um an, i think it was an accelerator card to do it on ah so it was so uh, i think they used an amiga with a breakout but I'm, I could be wrong here, and someone's now going to phone into the podcast. How, how old is know, how old is uh, how old yeah. is Babylon Five? Have they been made in Amigas? Um, Ninety three was the release of the pilot, the Gathering. Ninety four was the first season, if I recall correctly. Maybe. I'm trying to think when I got it my... was around about then because I yeah. do remember, I, think my, yeah, I do remember that while we were doing um, games conventions and they they had guests along. Claudia Christian was a guest for Bab- as one of the sci-fi guests, and I think Babylon Five was between seasons four and five at that point. So that would put it. Your numbers seem to be no. pretty pretty much accurate. We could we could Google it, but why, where's the funny? <laughs> and also, very interestingly, you just mentioned Claudia Christensen. She yeah. is one of the people that we will be working with in the future as well. Wow, oh. she's she's in. Um, She's working with a guy called Chris McCauley, who's one of the creators of the Stokerverse, and um, they've got big plans for future stuff, which m- probably would involve Nightfall as well. Oh, oh. No. So what? Okay, we need you to said... introduce Mark at some point. By the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who is this other guy with glasses? I did warn you that we, we talk. <laughs> yeah. Mark, you said the magic word Stokerverse. 
Yes. So I'm going to have to say, what is the Stokerverse? Where's it going? And what are you doing with it? Right. So Stokerverse is uh, the brainchild of uh, a gentleman called Dacker Stoker, who is, I believe, the great grandnephew of Bram Stoker. Yeah, I've met him and, at Sci-Fi um, Weekend. Yeah, and he is a, um, a a writer who's written a number of different projects. And then Chris McCauley, who is a Irishman in Canada, who is highly Everywhere. prolific and he's got his fingers in lots of different pies. And between them, they're creating what they call the Stokerverse, which is taking Bram Stoker's vision, which is a lot more than just the book that we all know. There's other books that were published, but there's also lots of writing as well, lots of extra writing that never got published. And they're taking that via all sorts of different formats. So audiobooks, novels, comic strips, role-playing games, uh, board games, even miniatures games. And they're they're taking that world onwards um, using the notes. So it's a bit like, I guess, what the the Tolkien family did with some of the writing that, that Tolkien produced that didn't get published like the Silmarillion. It's a similar approach to that. And um, we were approached last year uh, via a, a very good friend of mine who I've known in the industry for a good few years called Andrew Brown and um, he he has a podcast uh, called We Gamers and um, I've been on there with him a couple of times and he, he approached us because he knew the work we were doing with Slay and Terminator and asked us if we wanted to get involved and uh, we did and uh, Stokerverse role-playing game uh quick start we launched that on friday and um we're, we're very proud of it aren't we jade i mean it's it's literally yep. um we've we've done a lot of work to make it visually very different to what you see with terminator or slay um and it's got a very, it's very appropriate feel to it but what we've also got is uh clint langley who we we've worked with or he was um nightfall was one of his first employers um, and obviously he's then gone on to work for the likes of Rebellion with Judge Dredd, etc. He worked for GW. He's worked for Cubicle 7. I believe he's worked for lots of other places as well. But he's an awesome artist and I've always been a big fan of his. And, and um, I asked him if he would sort of be our art director for this project. And he's kindly agreed to do so and is producing pretty much all, if not all, of the art for it. And we're getting proper Clint Langley because it's it's the perfect fit for him. It's the sort of art that he's really good at. You know, this art gothic, dark it's, art. Yeah, it sounds it, like a sort of multimedia shared universe. Would that be a fair description? That is a very fair description of the Stokerverse. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so obviously, like the big issue is rights for like. No, obviously, there's there's Dracula out there, uh, which has its own independent IP. So does. Will the Stokerverse include Dracula, or is it kind of... And how does all that interact with each other? Right, so IP um, on writing uh, lasts for about 75 years. and yeah. 75 years after death. Yeah, Dracula and Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker died more than 75 years ago, so... Ah, so it's... Yeah. Arguably, it's general domain, but the key thing here is with the Stokerverse is that the Stoker family have all of the stuff that was never published and they're using that as the basis for a lot of the stuff they're doing so for example in the role-playing game quick start that we've just released um there's a in effect a fourth bride that was written by um stoker 
and he made notes on on this bride and he he discussed her in length in his notes but she didn't make it into the book but arguably she's probably the most interesting because she's really dark she's arguably the the bride that uh, that dracula actually loves um it's quite a obviously horrific story about her being pregnant when she became a vampire blah 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 so there's all that goriness going on as well and um yeah so there's, there's all that but there's lots of other characters as well and then we've we've brought in aspects ourselves so for the role-playing game we brought in for the quick start we brought in a couple of new characters that have got stuff going on and we've got a lot of the old characters as well so you see harker you see suaj you see those sort of people but you see new ones as well it's great yeah um what do the characters play in Stalkers? Are you the vampires kind of fighting against vampires? Or are you the hunters? You well, you're not you neither, to be fair. So okay. there are hunters, um, or there are individuals, but in, in the quick start, without giving too much away, you are um you've been pulled together by Van Helsing and one of them's his junior called Suard. The, then you've also got uh, uh, Seagrass, sorry, then you've also got Harker, you've got couple of other characters that you would have seen in it you then have a, an artist and a clairvoyant which have all been brought in and even a police officer and they've been pulled together because of their experiences and knowledge and you're working together to get to the bottom of what's going on because it seems although Mina or Mina has gone AWOL and um, potentially even Lucy has, um, is, is back and you, you, you're, you're all being pulled in to sort of try to get to the bottom of what's going on. And throughout the, the quick start mission, you, things become more and more apparent and you meet other characters that you either know or haven't met before. What is this this quick... I thought you said Kickstarter. So what is quick start for... I have no idea what it is. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a term or it's a, it's a product that's been out there quite a lot, but it's a fundamental part of our business model. So... Um, we produce a quick start, which is uh, a document that ranges from 40 to 70 pages, which we release as a PDF, pay what you want. So you can get it for free. You can pay us a dollar. You can pay us whatever you want for it. And it gives you the, it's basically a taster for uh, the game. Like quick start rules. Okay. So, I thought it was like kickstart, yeah. but quick start. I thought it was like some sort of quick start. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Quick it's start. Quick start. Right. right. Yeah. So we have, we have one for Slay. We have one for Terminator. We've got one for Stokerverse. We'll have one for Harrowvale. We'll have one for other products that we produce in the future as well. And they're a really good way of um, allowing people to get a taste of what this product's about, the, the nature of, of the product the nature of the rules, the quality of the product, the quality of the art, the quality of the writing. And that's key to us because, you know, we when we then go to kickstart, we want people to know what they're getting and we want to sh- we, we're proud of what they're getting. You know, we, we want them to see that this product is top quality. Like Jared said about Nightfall in the 90s, it's basically a core part of us now is to be up there with the big boys because we're not big boys we are a a fairly small team and there's lots of big companies out there in this industry compared to us yeah but i would argue do there's a certain prestige you required throughout the years like the slay Industries is recognized as being a very good game and repetition counts for counts far more than size to be fair especially Mm. especially in this day and age where a small company can have a very big footprint purely by its presence especially yeah. online. And I think this is this is something that we've... So 
Jared talks about when Nightfall first came into existence, but we as what we, we sort of inverted comma call um, new Nightfall came to existence around 2019. And the three of us, uh, there was originally four, as we mentioned, but the three of us have got very much, we're very aligned in what we want to do. And we're very defined in what we want to do um, with regards to how we work. You know, we don't have any fancy offices. We work from home. We work using social media and, and we communicate via Facebook Messenger all the time. We communicate um, often on the phone as well, obviously, but we aren't. You know, I, I live in the Midlands, so the Midlands of England, and oh. Jared and Dave are up in Scotland. So Where about, where about Mark? Uh, I'm in Leamington Spa. Oh, right, okay. Derby. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah, a bit, <laughs> bit further down than you. But yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and it's um, it works really well. And we've been we've been very definitive in in wanting to produce i mean we've, we've gone as far as taking the, the corporate approach with regards to sort of having a mission statement of quality writing quality art quality production and we live by that as a company and we want we we want to stay we need to stay lean to continue in the industry and i think you know our first two products of since new nightfall have hit big with slay and terminator and um Obviously, uh, Stokerverse is yet to come and and yet to continue, but it's it's looking good. What are yeah, the um, what are the challenges for uh, smaller companies like yourself to sort of make a, a dent uh, with the the proverbial big boys? I think uh, well, obviously, Kickstarter um, is an interesting one because obviously we are a small organization, but we're not the smallest. We're not somebody out of the block, so it's a bit we're in a bit of a halfway house. We're we're in that sort of weird position of hitting big in some regards but still being small in others uh, so kickstarter is is still important to us <clears throat> the kickstarter also sees the big boys or some of them pumping out million dollar campaigns all the time so yeah. it's a window that's great for us and it's obviously a great revenue stream for the likes of the big the big companies we're talking about um so that's one thing and then also distribution itself so you know it's harder for companies like us to get out there. So, for example, we have distribution relationships with um, Asmodee, with um, impressions in the US and, and um, other other uh, distribution companies around the world. But that's been really hard to get. I and mean, we've literally taken it's taken me about six years in the industry to get to this position. And that's something that that helps Nightfall because Kickstarter is great and it gives you a good revenue stream, but it can be really dangerous as we, as as Jared and Dave already know from their previous experiences, but also I know from my previous experiences, and we see a lot of companies fall by the wayside. Dangerous, and dangerous really in what way? Dangerous in what way? Sorry. Oh, so imagine, shall, I, shall I tell the story or shall you? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell one and then you can tell the specific right. one, if that's all right. So imagine Absolutely. imagine you have just done a Kickstarter for a book. Yeah. Or you're in the process of doing it even. And you've said you wanted five grand and you're already at 10. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, 10 grand's coming in. And you do all these extra things. Like you say, for example, oh, I'll, I'll do another piece of artwork or I'll write another mission. I'll write another book, for example. And you get that number higher and higher and higher and higher. But none of that stuff's ready. You didn't. Even, sometimes you didn't even know you were going to do it before the Kickstarter ran. Then you get this big chunk of money in. So I don't know, say hundred thousand pounds or dollars or or whatever currency you want. Oh my goodness! That amount of money in your bank account is amazing. But what people don't realise is that 
you've then got to spend a large chunk of that money making the product that you've promised or products that you've promised. Also, if you then start having running costs like a warehouse, like employees, like et cetera, et cetera, you then have a outgoing on a monthly basis. So say, for example, you've got a warehouse and two employees, you could argue that's £5,000 a month. Yeah. If your project is 10 months late, you've lost 50 grand. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and yeah. then you've still, you've still got to pay to print and you've got to pay to ship. That's why it's dangerous. I don't think I've ever had a Kickstarter that's on time, like ever. No, and and we we're getting closer. Slay, um, Slay, Second Ed was six months late. Terminate's probably going to be about the same, but I think Slay um, Collateral will be a lot less over time. And we're working hard now. So this is another thing that we're doing as a company is we're working to get the products made before the kickstarter in the main so whereas in the past we went to kickstarter with say 10 15 percent of our stuff made we're now aiming to go there with 70 to 80 percent made ah, okay. so that means it's a lot it's much easier to predict the future and it's, it's much easier to that was there's fewer um, problems coming up you know when we did the first slay Who'd have heard of um, global pandemics? Yeah, Who'd have... yeah, that, yeah, that was and you know? the global pandemics and the knock-on shipping effect. I was going to yeah. ask. I did form. I did forming in 2019, and then the subsequent pandemic in 2020 have any impact? It wasn't on... our fault. We didn't cause it. it wasn't <laughs> us. Just saying, coincidence. But no, did did it have any impact upon the Slay as a company? No. Okay. That's safe to say. We were all basically Dave, Mark, and myself were all working from home already. We were already well versed in remote working and communicating, constant communication. So when the pandemic hit, um, we were all well placed to carry yeah. on doing what we're doing. It didn't impact us because the the only impact it had was stuff like the underlying infrastructure that everybody was being hit by. But as a company, no, we weren't actually badly impacted. Um, and, the, and the other thing is we work hard. You know, it's mm. not yeah. like we're not sitting around often. Like once we finish this call, I'll be working. Uh, been working all day on, on Terminator as well. And, and we work hard. Dave works exceedingly hard all the mm. time. I mean, this is a man that does slay now full time. That's his job. And in the evenings, he does more slay because he wants to. You know, this is yeah. this is the nature, and and obviously Jerry's doing a full time job, and then doing this sometimes working two three in the morning, and then I'm I'm this is my full time job, but I'm also um, a single parent, and I'm also um, I'm also dealing with a lot of other stuff as well. But we work hard, and fingers in pies. If we wanted to, <laughs> we've got some very big excuses in our pack pocket if we ever needed them. But and and real honest things that have happened over the last year. But we will, we won't be using them because we don't need to and don't want to. Yeah. You never hear Games Workshop complaining. I burnt my dinner yesterday, so your book's late. <laughs> um, no. So and is... we and we have to aim. We have to behave like the big companies. Um, it's like, that's one of the problems with the previous Kickstarter. The people we did the Kickstarter with um, when we started Daruma, they were of the, the guy who was mainly running the Kickstarter was very much, 
if we give them excuses and play the sympathy card, the fans will give us money, which was blatantly not Dave and mine's philosophy. And neither was it Mark's when he came on. He put, no, that was the, the cannibal sector. One Kickstarter is how nightfall started back up sort of, and became an active company as opposed to just doing the PDS we were doing. Uh, we, Dave and I were approached by this, a couple of guys who are brothers, um, Scottish guys in England who wanted to make a miniatures game based around Slay Industries. So they asked us if we'd be interested and we said, okay, make us a miniature and show us what you can do. And they then gave us a miniature from of one of the scavs and it was very good. So we thought, all right, let's do this. And we started working with them. Uh, they moved down to Doncaster to work on the project and we started, we did a Kickstarter and it raised 47, 48,000 pounds, but the miniatures never got made properly and everything was constantly, they thought very much like the Ponzi scheme of to pay for this one, we'll make some miniatures and do them on pre-order. And when they get the money in, we'll pay for this stuff here and then we'll oh work God, out how to yeah. do the pre-order stuff. And it was constantly chasing money, uh, throwing good money after bad and making, um, just just bad decisions that we got hurt by and we then ended up with um the the cs1 kickstarter unfulfilled and 24 uh, 24 pounds in debt gosh and then that's when dave and i pulled out and said well we have two choices we can either try and resurrect it or we can say goodbye to Slay Forever because nobody's going to buy the, the second edition role-playing game that we were eventually planning on doing if we didn't do that. It would basically, it would kill Slay. And um, especially when you go back to that point of we'll make the fans feel sorry for us, feel bad for us, and that was yeah. some of the stuff that was being done. So they were they were wringing the, the, the blood out of the stone of, of in people's yeah. pockets a lot. And eventually the fans were getting pissed off. You do though, like it was like yeah. um, my, myself and Pete were at UK Games Expo two thousand and eighteen. Two thousand eighteen was it when we saw mm-hmm. Airflix? Yeah. Airflix. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was a game called Airflix, which it just actually turned up um, a few months back. Uh, looked yeah. really cool. Basically, World War Two, kind of like Subudio, but with planes, and you sort of kind of you yeah. flick it over a map and stuff. We we, we played a game. Um, really cool. I backed it on Kickstarter. It, four years later, it 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 turned up. And um, obviously pandemic uh, and the guy had, you know, justifiable excuses. So, I, you know, and I, I'm very much in the case. I understand stuff happens and stuff, but then it, it started getting to the point where this was going wrong and this was happening. And it was just one sort of thing after another. And even my sort of kind of quite sort of long patience was wearing thin because I was just like, I, right, okay, I understand this, but surely... I understand pandemic shit happens and stuff, but you know, it's you, you, you've got to have time to sort of kind of bring this into account and things. And I was just mm-hmm. getting, I was getting really frustrated by the end of it and stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, I, uh, what sort of frustrates me about Kickstarters is that it, it, it's people who start new ones and don't seem to learn the lessons from other people who have done it already and stuff. And it's like, you know, you, there's so many, if you, if you, if you, if you know a Kickstarter or you've backed a Kickstarter, you know 
all the challenges that go along with it and that why you don't sort of yeah, kind of yeah, get that information you, from people is you, you really don't know all of them that's the problem yeah. um there's yeah. so many that you you won't know until you're living it i mean um i've done i've done 13 or even 14 kickstarters across a number of different companies and obviously we've rescued we've rescued one as well and i rescued another one before that that was uh technically 10 years late i think no eight years late yeah so um but there is so many um stumbling blocks and i think the other thing as well to remember is imagine imagine making a a, a rule, rule book for a, a role-playing game so you're talking probably 240 pages roughly you're talking a front cover art. You're talking probably a hundred or so art pieces inside. You're talking um, the layout. You're talking the printing. You're talking the the shipping. And people go on to Kickstarter asking for say five thousand pounds, and then you get six thousand pounds, or maybe seven, or if you're really lucky, eight or nine or ten. You are not going to make a book very easily with all that stuff in it for that price. You're realistically looking at a 14 grand art budget for a modern sized RPG. Between 10 and 14,000. Yeah. At, at least to be fair. I mean, you know, some like Robin games that are literally just art books in and of themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah. People keep asking us if we're going to do art books and we say we do, we call them RPGs. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there's also, there is sharks in the, in the water as well. So there's distribution companies that really, really ring the money out of the back of, mm. out of the companies as well. You know, your example before of Airflix, you think, you know, the guy would have, would have charged you for shipping in effect four years ago. And now he's got all those other stuff to contend with. And he's got, a, he may, I know who the guy is very well. He's a mate of mine. So I know this particular example, so we probably shouldn't talk about it, but. <laughs> my apologies. I, you know, that's all right. The game's in really fact, good, by the way. The I like, enjoy the game. The miniatures in that, the little planes, yeah. I made them. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Okay. Wow. So my team made them. So, but anyway, um he would have he would have been stung significantly for shipping yeah. afterwards yeah. you know he would have been stung by import taxes import duties shipping going up fourfold if you can even find someone to do it and he would have had to take all those costs himself because he can't come back to you guys and say by the way you know i'm two years late on this project the re now i'm two years late i've now got to find an extra five, ten grand to ship the stuff to you, especially with things like Brexit happening as well before yeah, the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, there's been, there's been a cavalcade of disasters. That, that's yeah. happened. Uh, a couple of the other Kickstarters I had, the companies actually turned around and went, um, "That shipping that you paid, we need more because we can't afford yeah. to." Yeah. And basically, yeah. if you don't want and it, you're going to have to wait a lot longer and stuff. And they basically forced the backers into sort of kind of uh, into shipping it and stuff. Oh, and there like... are there are there are cam people that have run campaigns that have committed suicide because of Kickstarter. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. I feel, I feel really yeah. bad now. <laughs> 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 really bad, you, you, honestly, I've, I've lived this. Um, I've lived this experience of, of running one where it's not going to plan, and it is horrific. You know, emotionally horrific. It's it. You know, you've got people that are getting really, really damn nasty via kickstarter or whatever i mean i've had personal threats because somebody demanded that he get his game within two months 
and I knew that it was two months out and I knew that I had to ship it to him in America, which is we using um, C-shaped shipping. So it's going to take six weeks to get it to our local place there. So I knew it wasn't going to happen. So I cancelled it. He threatened me and my family. Whoa. Yeah. And so although I think the key point is that people that are doing Kickstarters generally are not criminals and yeah. generally are not bad people but they get themselves into an awful mess because kickstarter is gives you a big chunk of money that you then have to produce something with yeah. and very few kickstarters will actually themselves make much money most of them will make a little bit of money that you get if you're really good at uh, managing the kickstarter yeah. And so now you can see why we brought Mark Rapson on Nightfall Games. Oh, yeah. yeah, there you go. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. And by the so, way, yeah. they're they're beautiful models, by the way. It's an amazing game. Thank you very much. You know, the, bar, you know, the fact that it's four years it, late. Are, are you but... on a bike? Are you on a bike backpedaling at the moment? No, no, no. Like, I, I, in my, in yeah. my defense, I'm a very patient person. Like, I understand. No, I, know. I, I understand. And it is a long time. Four years is a long time. Yeah. But yeah. I know, I know that the guy that, that created them is is a good guy and he does a lot of for yeah, the industry I, generally because i didn't but have i didn't four have, years a long time i didn't have any sort of ill will towards him and stuff in in the end it was just sort of it was getting like it was it was four years and i was like it's getting a bit sort of like and then it's like yeah it's coming this week and then it it didn't come that week and then it's coming next month and it's not coming that month and then i was just yeah. sort of kind of going and then the, the annoying thing was for me and it's like for anything that i get really late is that the game was so good like it was such a good game or it is such yeah. a good game and it's just sort of like and then it's not it's not solid it, it's sort of like you know because you got a bit frustrated about it you're sort of kind of it, it come yeah you know and it's and just one of those what? things that game is awesome because it, so for anyone that doesn't know it's basically as you say you're, you've got a round disc of um acrylic with a, a, a model of a plane on it one of you plays the nazis one of you plays the allies and you are fighting over a yeah. um neoprene mat it, it's very it's very skillful as far as a, a dexterity game is concerned and you can definitely get better at it but it's also strategic and it's also dice rolling, so it's really really great game but it's not it's not a uh, commercially viable product with regards to going through distribution because the amount of money it costs to make it is more than it needs to be. So, for example, distribution. Say you sell. Say we sell a book into distribution, and it's a forty quid book. Say fifty quid to make it easy. We don't get anywhere near fifty quid when it goes through distribution. We're talking a, a number that starts with one. Right. Well, we're lucky. Yeah. And that's, distribution has to take their cut, then retail has to take their cut, and yeah. it, it and yeah. everyone's pushing hard for discounts and discounts and discounts. And that's that's one thing I would say to people: when you buy your games, do try and buy it from your local shop if you've got one, because otherwise you won't have one. And I would also, you know, if even if they offer you ten percent. Don't take it because that shop is working off tiny margins and it's giving you 10%. It's, it's probably losing one third of its income from that product. Wow. You don't, think, you don't so, really think about that, do you? You know, no, I, so as greedy you, consumers, you, you just sort of kind of go, oh, money off, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, you go to Amazon, and you get it five quid cheaper, but Amazon, they, 
they're not supporting that product. They're not the ones that you can go and play that game in. They're not the ones that will tell you about it and, and give you something to browse. Try and you won't and... accidentally meet someone else who plays the same games as you yeah. when you go to the Amazon yeah. website. And that's it. And and I just highly recommend if you get chance, just and, and that doesn't help me. It doesn't help us as the publishers because we don't get that extra 10% or so. But that, that will keep that shop alive or give it more chance to stay alive. And yeah. if you don't want to go to your local shop, buy on Kickstarter or buy directly from a company's yeah. website. Mm. Because that when we sell something on the Kickstarter, we make if we if we weren't able to do Kickstarters, we would not be able to sell our books at the prices we do. Because the initial money we get off selling a book is we cut out the distribution, we do it all ourselves, and we cut out the retail, we do it all ourselves. And that initial burst gets the book made. That gets the product ready. Two, uh, two questions. It literally kickstarts it. Two, two, two questions for you. Um, do you think um, kickstarting RPGs, which is um, a, a book, uh, is that a lot? Do you think that's a lot easier to sort of kind of get in within a sort of kind of ballpark sort of uh, figure f- time scale even uh, than yeah, sort of a miniatures so, game? And yeah, our bi- our business model for role-playing games is pretty much main book a support product like a gm screen or a second book and then sometimes we do a third one which might be a printed quick start or something like that and therefore we're we're in effect producing you two books on the kickstarter and then you get the paraphernalia which is cool stuff like metal dice and dice trays and blah 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 and bpn coins and all this sort of stuff and they're cool as well and they can be done fairly easily because we we pay someone to make them and they send them to us but with regards to the book if we're doing two books we're make we're probably writing 350 word uh, pages worth of, of writing and obviously the arts that go with it that's doable, but what what there was a there was a period where Kickstarter role playing games went up to potentially eighteen books on one Kickstarter, and that and and again, it, you know, it's it's resulted in companies that are now big, but they are still fulfilling some of those Kickstarters yeah. five years later. But also, and this is why we didn't want to do it, and it's I don't know what the right term is, but we. Because Slay is so dear to Nightfall and specifically to Dave and Jared, we didn't want to go off and sort of produce an 18-book Kickstarter, which, because what happens with an 18-book Kickstarter is that by the end of it, when you eventually get your stuff, you've got a big pile of books and you aren't going to buy any more because you've probably at most read one or two of them. Whereas if you do smaller Kickstarters, you can get the product to people quicker. Mm-hmm. And also the people have more time to, to read it and, and enjoy it and, and, and decide they it. want more and to play it as well. <laughs> or you just do so, what I do and just buy buy everything and it sits on a shelf and then you feel guilty because you, you've not you've not thank touched you. it. <laughs> thank you for this. Yeah. Thank you for this. Exactly. Um, exactly. You you pay for my iron brew. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean what I find well well given like the, the uh, proliferation of PDFs and tablets, you can now kind of back a, a role-playing game on Kickstarter. And rather than having to wait on a delivery of a physical book, you can get to the PD, PDF sent to you. And you don't have to worry about Brexit. You don't have to worry about shipping yes. costs. It's, it's a PDF there, and it's great. But the, the, the thing to ask yourself is, 
if you if everyone buys PDFs and they buy them for I don't know we 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 charge twelve pound for them on Kickstarter for just the PDF. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of PDFs to make enough money to make it viable for us to produce it yeah. and then do it. The other thing is that um, a lot of people expect PDFs for free. Mm. Especially if you buy if you buy the physical book, then yeah. But, yeah. And 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 often they say, well, there's no extra cost, but there is extra cost because we've got to get it ready for PDF format, which yeah. isn't a massive cost, but it does take time and effort, especially when people want them bookmarked and all this sort of stuff as well. Yeah. And then additionally, although it's not a cost, it is a lost revenue because if we're giving away a twelve pound or a seventeen pound PDF, we're not making seventeen pound; yeah. we're making zilch. And then some people share that around, whereas a book gives us the revenue a bigger revenue for what we're producing i mean it's, it takes more it looks it's it's a thing you, you're buying yeah. something actual so yeah pdfs are great and i like them but i am very much a paper yeah book. yeah books first to, uh, yeah and, i have to have yeah. something tangible myself i don't uh, you know i yeah i like i like the option of you get your pdf and your main book in your kickstarter um you get your pdf delivered early so you can start using it but then your book arrives and then you can actually have your thing. But if you want yeah. to play it, that's, that's the best way to do it is because then you can, so when we put our, dear listeners, when we put our tears with, <laughs> buy the book, buy the PDF with the book, buy the PDF, go for the one where you get both of them. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's, that's the best way to do it for us commercially. And it's also what we think is the highest value that you can you can get yeah, from us exactly and um what we do is we don't tend to release the pdf in its final form before people start to get the books because we feel that the people that have bought the books should get it alongside the yeah. people that have bought pdf yeah, only yeah, of course yeah um and it's like we won't take books to a convention and sell them at the convention before the backers have them in their hands. And people yeah. do that. People sell stuff before yeah. it's even yep, they got do. them, and it's so yep. annoying. <laughs> I'm yep. just like, what? I haven't yeah. got mine yet. You remember who they are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like I said, that kind of that reputation is key. So when you see someone doing that, you know, would you be inclined to back them again in the future? Well, mm. probably not. Yeah. So, yeah, you will, though. <laughs> yeah well that's it you, you sort of you, you, you moan about it it's just like you know i've had um i've had a few kickstarters that have taken ages and stuff but you know as much as i've moaned about it the, when they bring when you get that nice thing and it and it, it's quality you go okay yeah all is forgiven all right yeah. i'm okay all right yeah yeah what's your what's your advice then um for people who are starting a Kickstarter, what what are your sort of kind of top sort of tips on what they should sort of bear in mind before sort of kind of jumping into that Shark Tank? So for me, I would say if you're really if you're brand new, if you're if you've got your product and you're going to make it, and you've you've already paid for stuff and you've already written it and you've you've done all the writing yourself or you've done it with your mates. Don't try and recoup your losses on that. So you're, if you if you if you go to Kickstarter with a ten grand Kickstarter, you're probably going to struggle on a role playing game unless it's really you've done lots of marketing beforehand. But in itself, that has costs. Um, so I think really um, we we have a friend who's who's recently done a, his second Kickstarter, but his first one, 
he put it on there and his objective was to get it printed and out to people that wanted it and it wasn't about necessarily making money he just wanted his thing to be out there yeah, yeah. and his thing was really good and it looked good and he did it really well but that was his objective luckily for him and because it was so good he did walk away with with a profit margin um so that would be my first thing because you see some people go there with like oh i must i need 20 grand because it's cost me 18 to get it here and i need two grand to print it well actually really you should be going for the two grand because then you build on that afterwards um and i think the other one is just don't get carried away i mean here, as an example with the daruma kickstarter they on their last day decided to give away a miniature that they was called digger he's like the big massive bad guy in slay he if he if it was real he'd be like 25 30 foot tall they gave it away in the last few hours they made no money by giving it away but every backer it cost them eight quid to produce it oh, oh wow nice wow it's a beautiful model yeah. but eight eight quid a piece that they gave away times that by arguably 350 people it's a lot of money so yeah just be careful just be careful and don't over don't give too much away you know really keep to your budgets and you know what it might not work but if you're prepared to risk your own personal finances or alternatively your reputation then keep going but i would often say just you know manage it well and you'll be fine i've always sort of my advice sorry no no you far away okay my advice would be budget your art and don't expect other people to help you fulfill your dream for the same amount of whatever it is you're going for that you will do if you say if you do my kicks if you do the art for my kickstarter i'll pay you when it's successful don't expect any artists to ever take you up on it because it's your dream these people don't have your dream they have their own dreams and they will do work for your kickstarter for money mm-hmm. or for whatever else they can get out of it, but not to fulfill your dream yep. unless they have an awful lot of faith in you for some reason. Like if they're a good friend of yours and at that, if you're going to do, you can't expect them to take 50% of the risk for 0% of the well, 10% of the reward say. So do your budget on art, work out if you can actually do it Keep your book down to a, a decent size, 200 to well, 100 and something pages to 300 pages, absolute tops. Very importantly, keep your full package book and all the accessories in the simplest, uh, what let's say, pledge. In the simplest pledge you do, make sure your simplest pledge, including packaging, is under two kilos. Mm. That that If it goes over two kilos, your shipping costs will escalate at a ridiculous value um so we keep had, it down to it yeah we had a great one. um we had a great discussion when we did slay second edition so it's a 224 page book but it came the, the sweet spot pledge included a gm screen which came with a 16 page booklet and it also mm. included the quick start printed which was this and some dice oh nice and we we had a discussion between the three of us because it was looking like we couldn't get it to 224. And I remember, I think it was either Jared or Dave said to me, can we go to 240? And I said, we cannot. And why not? I was like, well, if we do that, 
we literally double our shipping charges because that knocks us over two kilos. And obviously, in some of the bigger pledges, it books more than one book Ooh. was bought. Yeah, pretty. That's essentially what you got at the I want the books tier. Yeah. Um, you got the the main rule book, um, the quick start, which is very light, thankfully. <coughs> the booklet inside the GM pack to make it a book so it doesn't accrue that, and the screen. Oh, nice. What What is? I, 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 unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. Sorry for this, but I don't. What is Slay? What What What's the sort of background behind it? What's the? I'll let Jared do that one. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Slay Industries. Years. Yeah, I've been being. I've been trying to do the. Um, yeah, let me put my stuff down. I've been trying to do the elevator pitch for Slay Industries since 1993. It's a very hard thing to pitch, but essentially, um, you are operatives or troubleshooters working for a corporation that rules a world based on a 1980s science fiction. So you work for this great corporation that is essentially, unfortunately, uh, probably evil. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's evil. And you're, you don't, you're not necessarily evil. You're just doing your job. And as your career goes on throughout Slay Industries fighting, most of, most of your day-to-day stuff will start off with, your job is to clear out the sewers because there's some monsters in the sewers. Um, use these big guns. Here's your armor. And maybe do a bit of investigation into some murders that have been happening around that the police, like the shiver units, aren't capable of doing because they're just the and peacekeepers. That is what you get in this, pretty much, what Joe's just said. That yeah. mission is this. And you can get this as a free download off of drive through RPG. Yeah, okay. go and have a read of it. It's very good. And... <laughs> It teaches you the basic system and will get you through a simple sewer cleaning operation. And as always, these things aren't as simple as they turn out, because where's the fun in that? But so Slay Industries, it's kind of sci-fi horror is essentially what it would be best described as. Because as you start playing, you realize that things are a little bit less stable than they should be. And horrors are creeping into the universe. And it's there's a lot to unpack. It's like an onion or an ogre. It's got layers and a lot of them. And um, it's like meal furry, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> one of, one of the things I would say is you, you've all heard of cyberpunk, where basically cyber technology is is um, the easiest to acquire um, currency. You've heard of diesel punk. You've heard of steampunk, where diesel is you can get as much diesel as you want. Uh, in steampunk, you can get enough oil and water, and therefore steam as you want that's that's the term that that, so the word is made up from the thing that's bountiful and nobody really cares about followed by the word punk ours is not cyberpunk it's not diesel punk it's not steampunk the closest you can go is called splatterpunk and splatterpunk means that the cheap resource that no one cares about is life all right okay yeah (laughs) and your life and you life's pretty die. cheap to that kind yeah. if you enjoyed if you enjoyed 2000 ad in your use yeah um you're you're definitely in the right sort of There's target what was there a game called a game called splatterhouse was it splatterhouse i remember telling yeah. you yeah computer game yeah, yeah. yeah. splatterhouse yeah yeah We're... i remember that one <laughs> yeah actually and your what was the, the other game we wanted to talk about was the terminator rpg mm. now oh yeah i've heard of that yes yeah. yeah, <laughs> on the edge of it like small film you know yeah how the hell did that come about so um there's a a gentleman called gary harper who i don't know if either of you know him but he 
he used to be the operations manager of Modifius. All right, yeah. Oh, okay. And um, I met him at a conference. I think it was Eschenspiel, but it might have been another one in in Germany or in Europe at least. But I think it was Eschenspiel, and um, we got on really well. Um, he he then left and he left Modifius, and he now works uh, in effect for himself. And um, he went off to a uh, a thing and. Um, and basically came across the Terminator as an IP and suggested to me that it might be a good idea for Nightfall and um, gave it some thought and spoke to Dave and Jared and we all agreed that Gary was correct. Um, So I then had a meeting in London with um, the the guy that runs the um, IP company that, that, that handles that particular um, company, so it's Studio Canal's IP, and um, he was he'd clearly given it a lot of thought generally about role playing games, especially with Terminator. And he said the, the the key thing here is everybody nobody considers Terminator as a great RPG potential because they just think of the film. And and he was he was right. I mean, we'd been at that point as well. But what he said, and and what we'd already come to the conclusion was that actually. What we're actually talking about is killer robots and time travel. Yep. When you when you realise that, and it's all timey-wimey, as Doctor Who would say, you have got an awful lot of cool stuff that you can do with that. And what we also had, which we didn't realise even when we started talking to them, was that we also had all the comic books that had been published by Dark Horse. And there was a, there was a... a basically bountiful resource of stories character types robot types etc etc that just make it really really have a lot of potential interest and we we have had we have had the opportunity to to work with these guys yeah they go some of some of the comic books there and there's a lot of them and um we we basically sat down and um and then Again, Gary suggested that we we get in touch with this guy called Andrew Gasker, who um, who is the main writer of Alien of RPG. Of Alien RPG. Yeah, very good again. And he he's an awesome chap, and he's very attuned to not ours. Nightfall. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and um, basically, I, I reached out to Andrew and um, had a good chat with him and asked him if he wanted on board and. He said, yes, if you pay me right. And we said, okay, what do you want paying? And we said, and he said a certain amount. And we said, oh, that's a lot more than we're used to. <laughs> and then we said, do you know what? This guy's worth it because he's his name brings a lot with it. And also he's really forthcoming with regards to ideas, but he's also really forthcoming with promotion as well. And as it turned out, we get on really well with him to the point that I think Jared and him have a bromance. Um, it's, <laughs> It's that Got a lot of good then, months. <laughs> exactly. And um and since then we've brought on we, we as a company have brought on um our fourth man, a guy called Ben Graybean, who also was previously at Modifius. And um Ben has taken over the rules half of our our um well, rules quarter of our um, organization. And um between the two of them, with with input from lots of other people as well, we have got um Something rather cool, which we are very close to releasing the alpha version of. Very, very close. Yeah. In we, fact, if we weren't talking to you right now, we would be finishing off bits. Wow. Of oh, yeah. oh no! Again. I mean, the Terminator films, TV show, and comics, and 
the whole shemugal. Um, it's been set in like the 80s. It's been set in modern day. It's been set in the future. Where do you set your so, Terminator so RPG? This is, a, this is a sandbox RPG. So oh. we we are, you are able to play wherever you want. So as you say, we have the, the license we have um, at the moment um, is, um, is just Terminator. The first movie so just the first film yes um at the moment and um, gosh gosh and um we are um what's what i was looking for so so it's all set around the stuff that you see in the first movie and the comic books so it doesn't involve for example the second movie and the gosh. t2000 gosh it doesn't <laughs> it does not include that um and it doesn't include for example terminators goody terminators but Sarah Connor Chronicles. It doesn't include that either. So it's no. literally just the Terminator and associated comic books from Dark Horse. That said, we have the potential, if we wanted to, to potentially acquire the license for some more of the movies. Gosh, how do you how do you write a an RPG with? Uh, so so because i'm trying to think so in the it's basically uh a machine coming back in time to kill one person are the players um playing as people trying to save like john connor or uh or no, sarah connor i guess from the so, first movie so you you yeah, play that, humans as are impacted by the terminators the, the, it's a very open and broad yeah so you could be you could be sent back to deal with something that the skynet's about to do you so it's not in this, but you remember in the second movie where Sarah Connor goes off on one to go and kill yeah. the guy, Miles, yeah. Miles Dyson. There's that that you can potentially be doing. Uh, you could be um, protecting an asset. You could be, um, what else? You could be investigating other things that are going on. You could be um, preventing. You, you could be trying to do your regular police work, private yeah. eyesight type job and come across, you know, while you're doing this wonderful storyline of trying to find a missing person and all that, two Terminators pile through your storyline. Are and they? Then, are they a legitimate threat? Then are they? They're not like you know. Oh, I'm oh just going to hit. They're like. <laughs> well, there's, there's all sorts of level of Terminator or, or, or cyborg in this. So you've got things as small as uh, as rats, um, all the way up to the T800, which is the pinnacle of the, the cyborg Skynet's um, assets at the point of, of the, the first movie. Um, and actually more beyond that as well from the comic book. So you've got, you've got variants on the T800, which are nastier, bigger, bolder. You've got, um, for example, people that have been mimicked. So for example, the four of us are sat here and Peter is actually a Terminator. Don't tell everyone. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but he's actually a Terminator. He doesn't even know it, but he's a Terminator and he'll get activated at some point and he might be rock hard or he might not be so rock hard. And I then you've like got other ones. <laughs> exactly. And we've got all of this, all of these and a lot more that we aren't going to share right now because the, the backers will see them hopefully within yep. the next couple of days. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, so there's an awful lot um, going on. And I think the key point here is they said, or we, or the whole community said, you can't make a role-playing game out of aliens. It's just an alien running around yep. killing everybody. 
used yet, to have that argument myself. Yeah, and, then, and yet you look on, on Peter's shelf right now and there's a shed load of books and there's a whole well. big community of people that are playing that game yeah. because yeah. it is more than just an alien killing people on a ship or yeah. if it's aliens, a lot of aliens killing a lot of people on a planet. And, and that's the key point here is that Terminator is the same, especially as we have Drew Gasker. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, a predator, yeah, is, there, is there a predator RPG? There is not. Well, you see, there you go. There's the next one on the, on yeah. the list right there. Again, predator it would be awesome. Again, Didn't the I'm... Predator come get involved in some of the Term- Terminator comics? So there oh, is my... some crossover comics. So there yeah. Is a, there is a There's Robo Alien versus, versus Predator, which is one of them. Y- yeah. yeah. Hunter's Robo Planet. versus Terminator. Yeah, that's true. Transformers versus Terminator. <laughs> uh, Robocop versus Terminator. There was a yeah, game on the um, Me- there was a game on the Mega Drive as well, RoboCop versus Terminator. Yeah, but our our um our, unfortunately our license doesn't include the crossovers, so <laughs> we can't put we can't put RoboCop in in the game. And we, and, <laughs> Damn it! Yeah, although it would be awesome, and I think I do think there may have been something that was Alien versus Predator versus Terminator, but again, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Most that. likely, yeah. Yeah, I think Dark Horse did a lot of cash grabs. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, re- yeah. Yeah. There was recently I was looking. Um, in a, I was in Forbidden Planet in uh, London recently, and um, looking at the comics there, and there was a My Little per- Pony versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic book. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I have an issue. I have an issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with Cerebus in it. <laughs> yes, have I you, remember that. Have you played the My Little Ponies RPG, by the way? Yes, I have. I have as well. <laughs> it's surprisingly it's good. good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I got it for one of my ex's daughters because uh, I was like, I yeah. can try and nerdify her. And I got it. And so we played this little this little sort of kind of uh, mission and stuff. And I was like, I would well get an tits. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. It's really nice. It's a good game. Yeah, we should look into something like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't think we have the right slaying from the company that brought you Slay and Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> Care it's Bears, like the other, RPG. Other stuff, that's actually a good segue onto other stuff we're doing. Um, for instance, straight after this, we're going to well, we'll figure it out when we're going to be doing our Merc Org expansion. Ooh. Oh yes, I remember reading about Mark Demon Mark. Dog. Yeah, and that's that's just going to be that's going to just be fun. It's yeah. not going to be. Um, we're not doing that as a major Terminator-sized project, but that's going to be fun. And then, of course, we've got the project we're doing with um, John Hodgson at Handiwork Games, where we're doing a fifth edition setting for a, basically Nightfall Games and Handiwork Games are doing a fifth edition setting, just oh. because. As in using Indeed. the 5e rules. All oh, right, yeah. yes. Yep, right. using 5e. Um, okay. Called Haravel. And, and, and and I think the great thing about this is this is Dave, Jared, and Johnny sitting in a pub over many, many months and even years. Years. Talking, many years. Talking about this thing. And this thing that they've created in their pub talk during the first four pints, to be fair. After that, <laughs> it, goes a bit, it goes a bit weird. But, it's true. But what they've what they've come up with is is awesome it's it's typical nightfall and typical handiwork in its styling and if you've seen um johnny's stuff like he did um beowulf which is a beautiful book which jared will now show you um and his art style is so evocative i mean he oh was, wow he was it's the a main, really beowulf. 
He was the main artist. Um, Beautiful artwork. Lead to um, the One Ring or the the One Ring by Cubicle Seven. He was he was he was the, the art director for that. Yeah, and but his art is so appropriate for what these guys want to do for <laughs> um, Harrowvale. This this project is really exciting to me because I think it's got. It's got the three of them in there, and and I'm hopefully mm. going to add a little bit of Rapson as well. So it's it's going to look awesome. It's going to be an awesome book. Wow, wow, that sounds lovely. Yeah, I mean, I played D and D back in the day, back in the eighties, and we it was been a time. But we I, play it now, Pete. No, we play yeah, it every well, Thursday. I got, I got out. I got out. I got out of, I just didn't like it. After a while, I just got sick of it and bored of it because it just felt more like a combat system. But now, um, but now with like the D D five E, I really like mm-hmm. it. This is a mm-hmm. much better system. I There's like some this... great stuff in there. Yeah, I like it's very streamlined. It's very fun, and it's more than just a combat system that it once was. Yeah, yeah. and I think the key point. For, so I've been playing D D for a good couple of years with with friends of mine. First, we used to play uh, in a shop, and then we played around people's houses. And then when COVID hit, we were playing over the internet, and. Um, I loved it, but I got to the point where there was no jeopardy. You know, your character mm. is unlikely to die, very unlikely to die. And even if it does die, it's very unlikely that you can't bring it back again. And what Johnny and Dave and Jared have talked about of Harrowvale is you fight, you come up against the skeleton in Harrowvale, you're probably better off running than you are trying to fight it because it will do you in because Harrowvale is a grim, dark, dirty setting where things rust, you know, and they don't know what gold coins are. They don't know what silver coins are. You go to the bar and flick your gold coin at them. They are like, that is not going to get anything. Oh, have you got any brass? Uh, have you got any brass coins or, or copper coins? Sorry. Oh yeah. You can have a beer. And that's the sort of thing. We really want to turn it on its head and make it. So there is real jeopardy yeah. in, fifth head again yeah. trudging like, through mud in mismatched armor yeah well that's see that's <laughs> yeah. the one thing with with these guys so we play a game every thursday dnd every thursday and i think i spend most of my time trying to not l- get the get them killed because you know it, it's it's quite hard when they're doing silly things but it's like you kind of don't want to kill them because you know it's a good stream and it's good sort of they're getting mm. they're doing the thing but i've got to a point now where they're level 10 where i said right if you die now that's it you know you're dead Try but there's still like you said there's still that whole thing it's like yeah well the cleric's me. got a there's resurrection me, yeah there's a resurrection spell and there's all this other things and they always find a way around it so if you did have something mm. that was a serious threat then maybe they would take things a bit more sort of uh at pace instead of just as pete says hitting it with his axe and um just yeah, hoping i'm a dragon born barbarian with intelligence of eight <laughs> everything so a smart barbarian t- yeah, yeah. Just run. So it's funny though man i just i love it because i the one thing i love about running the dnd game well we do homebrew so like the rules are sort of a bit sort of um they're very malleable hacked yeah hacked. they're just sort of like what well, we we just sort of do what, yeah. what everybody enjoys um but it's like i come i started off coming up with these really sort of kind of elaborate things about what they were going to do and where they go and they completely go off in the other direction to the point where all the stuff that i'd written was pointless because it was just like they weren't going in that direction so now i I literally just wait for like pete to do something and then just go with it and then just sort of go that way we had that we had that my um the guy that was gming for us he'd spent a load of time planning this sort of um a face-off between um, our barbarian and this orc that he created and spent a lot of time. 
And um, somebody else went up to that orc before he even got to the barbarian, twonked it on the head, got a crit, um, had some other jiggery pokery going on, and killed it. He one shot it. Um, the guy, the GM, almost flipped the table. He was so annoyed because he'd spent so much time, and he he just felt he himself felt cheated. And I think he felt cheated for for our barbarian as well. But none of us knew that that was the plan. And um, yeah, that's it for me. It's just it gets to the point where your party goes up against an ancient dragon and no one bats an, an eyelid. And I love the idea that you go up against a skeleton and you begin to get a little bit concerned. Yeah, That's yeah, cool yeah. to me. I think there's, um, like, I've not played it, but um, I, I've got a load of the um, Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, I think it was, is it Ronin? Yeah. Uh, and they've got sort of a, a bit more danger when it comes to, because you can take injuries and things are a lot more lethal. In, in that yep. in that game, um, so I've always wanted to run that, but obviously I haven't had time and stuff. But I like the idea well, of things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, um, you know, soon soonish we will have Haravel, and you you won't have to learn a new rule system because Excellent. you'll know it already. Five E with with Johnny right. Hodgson's wondrous bits. Brilliant. Yeah, Five <laughs> E has become ubiquitous now. I mean, pretty much everyone. It's a basic D but with streamlined and refined and it just works i mean there's other systems out there i mean i love the um uh freely publishing uh, system that's a really mm. nice system ffg's genesis is really really good we've got a lot of good systems out there powered by the apocalypse savage exactly. worlds yeah blades Although in the dark we did we did try to do savage worlds as slay second edition system before we did the kickstarter for cs1 yeah um and we started negotiating with Pinnacle for the licensing, and they said that'd be great. Uh, and how are you going to make sure that Slay Industries is now PG thirteen? Pardon. <laughs> it turns out Pinnacle's run by um, a religious guy who prefers family friendly gaming to um, the more adult side, which is fair enough. I yeah. mean, it's, it's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but that meant that we couldn't use Savage Worlds as an official licensed system. Right. So we just dropped that completely and thought, well, there we go. Do you remember that guy that um, accused you guys of lying? Because yeah. it was because... He said, Pinnacle wouldn't do that. Well, I've got the emails right here, mate. I mean, why are you, why are you disputing something? Just yeah. be, I mean, oh, people on the internet. Yeah. I mean, I know I am one. Hashtag but, you know, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I don't understand how people can say, "Oh well, I, I don't want to believe what you're saying, so I just won't." It's just, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. But yeah, and we 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 parted amicably after a short discussion with Pinnacle, and it never came to fruition. But it yeah. was, yeah. So so sometimes you have to look at other other reasons to use systems. But you're right; there are an awful lot of good systems out there right now, and the, the people have been making them for decades yeah. ever since. Ever since. Yeah. The 1970s. And, and they've been evolving as well. I mean, you look at the system mm. way back, like even like ten years ago, they've improved. Like, especially like a prime example is kind of like you know, the where you can like pass with, but with like you know, uh, a disadvantage, or mm. you can fail, but you've got a little benefit as well. It becomes a little more granular, but also becomes more story driven as well. Mm. Yeah, and the and the roll two d twenty. If it's a good thing, take the big one. If it's a bad thing, take the little one. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I like that rolling in for advantage. That's thing. really it is. A good, it just completely yeah. kind of streamlines the entire plus five, minus three, plus two, minus one, plus six, and on. Yeah. It's advantage, disadvantage. Who, who would like a little history lesson? 
<laughs> How did D and D become an open source system? Ooh, no idea. Uh, TSR bankruptcy. Sort of close. It started <laughs> off um, started off in the early nineties. Peter Atkinson was running Wizards of the Coast then, um, in his in his basement, and he had this system called was it Envoy. And he had the Primal Order and other books like that that were part of uh, his, you can use it with any gaming system. And he wanted to build a gaming system that could be shared and anyone could write for it. Um, And instead what happened is he got sued by Palladium? Yeah, Palladium. Sued him for putting their stats in the book. So he decided... It was his his very first book, wasn't it? And it nearly bankrupted Wizards of the Coast. And so what they did is they decided to come up with this other game that people could play in the queues while they're waiting to sign up for games. It became called Magic the Gathering. But if you look at the first Magic the Gathering, they'll all say it's a Deckmaster deck because Deckmaster was a company set up to own the intellectual property of Magic the Gathering in case Palladium sued Wizards of the Coast out of existence. That's where the Deckmaster name comes oh. from. Oh, but, right, then it, okay. but then that never happened, so they didn't ever have to mention it or tell the story. So, yeah, when TSR went bankrupt, um, sort of, they didn't understand paperback sales properly. They didn't understand that sale or return doesn't mean you get the books back if they say to return them. They, they pulp them at the other end. So you then lose everything you've sent out of sale or return. And they, they got they got caught in a whole bunch of other stuff. And Peter Adkisson swooped in, bought TSR, and then made third edition an open license because he didn't want anyone else to ever have to deal with the Palladiums of the world. Oh. And wow. that's how... And so he started the open gaming license, essentially for that reason. And because of that, D&D then became an open source game. And the D20 boom happened with 3.5, I think it was. Yeah. And then fourth ed came out, and then what's Mark coming out to show us now? I'm going to show you something. That's ah, really yes. So this is an oversized magic card. Um, it's about A4. Now I don't know if you can see with. Can you see the, the back the of it? Bit yeah. Hold it next to your face, because then it'll focus on your face. There you go. So you see that bit there? So that's the deck master bit. Yeah. Yep. Now what's really interesting is if you look at it, there's a little line that goes across. Uh, the S and the T of Master, and apparently when this was drawn, it was drawn by hand, and the pencil mark wasn't rubbed out. And every single magic card ever since, in fact, from the existence, has to have that pencil line in it now. That's amazing. I love stuff like this. Wow. Otherwise, you can mark your cards. I love it. That's amazing. Literally, every magic card has an errant pencil line in it. I love stuff like that. Oh, brilliant. Hey, every day's a school day. Brilliant. <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs> I love little factoids yeah. like that. Really, bro. Brilliant. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I've been in in, the, in in and around gaming since the, I think it was 79 or 80 when I first played D&D. So, and I thought, oh, I want to do this forever. And then I got caught up in a company called Asgard Games in 1983. Asgard Miniatures. They were one of the many Nottingham companies of that time, of the boom. Because yeah. I moved back to Nottingham in 83 and found, well, where can I play D&D? So I found the, the miniatures shop, started playing in the back of their shop 
um, Jez Goodwin, the famous Citadel oh, yeah. miniatures guy. He used to play there. His character sheets, pencil drawn, beautiful. Uh, the best character sheets I've ever seen. Um, so that's where I started playing D&D. I carried on with the Asgard Games Club, even though Asgard kind of, well, Asgard essentially got, all the staff eventually got stolen by Games Workshop. Um, yeah, the, the Games Workshop, it's the big, it's the, yeah. the 800-pound Guerrero in Nottingham. It is, uh, yeah. Um, so eventually, I, end, I also ended up working at Games Workshop in 87 when 40K came out. I was a mail-order troll and happy oh, for it. Oh, so was a rogue trader. You were at the, at the start when Rogue Trader came out then? Yep, yep. I've still got, yep. My, I've still got a, a first edition, a rogue, rogue trader flying around yeah. somewhere. September Damn. 87, I remember it well. Yeah, I remember yeah. I remember my father coming home with this book mm. and this blister pack of these guys in armor who, with guns. I was like, what's this madness? Yeah. And then just yeah. being yeah, like... We, 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 we we do admit to uh, being of of the right age to be influenced by 40k when it I, came I out. suspect given what Peter's doing, all four of us have that book and yeah. mine is very similar state. <laughs> mine isn't mine. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? No, my old one, I lost my old one and then uh it would have been in two thousand ish. I went on eBay and found a brand new one from eighty seven, like oh, wow. Pris- wow. pristine. And I, I bought it for a steal. The guy, obviously, I think a mum had just been clearing out her son's thing, and I was just oh. like, I yeah. got it. I was like, on it, I'm having it. So I've got it upstairs. Yeah, <laughs> I think my brother Elliot in Nottingham has my copy. Well, right. It's his copy now, obviously, because that's yeah. the way it works. Yeah. I know he's got all my traveler books. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh man wow so I, got, I got some of his D books so that's the way it works but yeah so after after i left workshop i ended up at uh, helping out at oh what were they called alternative armies i didn't actually work there but i i knew uh mac and nick nick's now north star miniatures and so i worked with them for a bit and then ended up going up to fantasy forge and then nightfall so yeah just living the dream, guys. I, in I, and I, around. Living in the dream. I just don't. Have, I don't think I'm brave enough. To, like I've, I've, I've always told myself, I've, uh, and, and we, we had a brief sort of stint of going like, we're gonna, we're gonna do this, guys. We're gonna create a game and we're gonna do this thing. And then we all went, well, we've got mortgages and we've got things <laughs> yeah. like this. We need to pay for stuff. We <laughs> can't. <laughs> You know, I I did do it. I did what you were scared to do because I was working. Yep. I was working in sales and marketing in the biological industry and i was earning a good whack and i was driving um from here in leamington all the way up to runcorn on a, every week and i just as i was driving to and from there i came up with this idea for this board game which is called devil's run which is where you basically um battling cars so it's a bit like a dark future or yeah, mad yeah, max yeah, yeah. and that was my sort of into the gaming industry and I did a Kickstarter for that, and I quit my job, and then um, went from there. But that's that's um, see, you know, it was it was difficult and scary. Yeah, I see. I but, don't know if I don't know. Like, I've got this thing. I've got this idea of like this like four D sort of kind of um, war game where it's like there's all kind like it's 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 massive. And I've always told myself I don't care if I, I if I make it or I, I do it and I don't make any money from it but one day I'm going to make this game just so I have one cop at least one copy of it just sort of the do brilliant and I don't have... well just think every day you don't work on that game is a day closer to you no longer being able to make that game happen so, uh, this so get is, on with this it. is true man and we've been do- we've been talking about it for years we had this whole like we we had a big serious sort of kind of stint where we all sat down there's three of us four of us sorry and we 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 did the sort of extended universe 
just about and how other games would tie into it and other things and then we sort of kind of focused on this one part and we did we went pretty far with it and then kids mortgages girlfriends yeah. everything sort of kind of life happened uh it just sort of kind of fell by the wayside but it's just there and it's just like one of these days but like you said yeah every day it goes past i'm for i'm 41 now and i'm pretty sure we started that when i was in my 30s and it's yeah. just sort of, yeah. kids eh? yeah. <laughs> well, like, I don't, this is the thing is when, i don't have any i've just got a famous dog that's it so that's no no you're kids i'm i'm ancient yeah. <laughs> um as you can probably tell by my time scale i'm in my 50s so it's you don't look at sir you don't look at <laughs> yeah but when we did nightfall originally um in 92 93 we were all unemployed we had no no pros no job prospects nothing we were the we were thatcher's lost generation struggling in glasgow to try and find our way and there were five of us in the same flat a two-bedroom flat um dave had the living room i had a cupboard uh as it was we all fitted in the house in the flat somehow and we just made it happen and we got into debt with a bank which no problem at all was paid by wizards of the coast when they bought us but we we got into debt because we had literally nothing to lose the worst that could absolutely happen to us is we could end up um losing the bank some money and ending up exactly where we are when we where we were when we started back on the dole <laughs> back pulling in 22 pound 50 gyro it, nothing to lose so it's much easier when you've got nothing to lose and nobody to tell you you know that's actually difficult is it <laughs> i've got the fear now you see this is it i've got yeah. the fear and I've, yeah. I've got <laughs> lots i like i like buying board games and things like this and like you know it's just sort of yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't you like other people to buy your board game? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. I would. I would love it. Like, I, I, and I, you know, I don't care because I, I'm, I like, I like convoluted war games and stuff like that. Like, I'm probably yep. the only person who would like to play Battle for North Africa. You know, that really like. <laughs> I'm like, I was sitting, that... I saw a copy on eBay, and I was like, I wonder if I could persuade my friends to play this. <laughs> was that the, was that the Tobruk game? Yeah, and that's the one we're basically. Yeah. Like, it's, the mo- it's the most complicated yeah. war game they've ever made. Apparently, it's like it takes yeah. like a hundred hours or something to play yeah <laughs> i believe they used to play that if that's the one from the 80s i believe they used to play that in asgard and give up oh man you know I, you know me and my brother like we, we play axis and allies global at christmas yeah. and stuff that's a good 18, 18 <laughs> hours of game and we, we 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 sit through it like we we go through it and stuff and it's like so yeah. we, i like sort of like but my, i think my so with my game it's about war game with scale my my issue with gaming in general is scale so you've got games like 40k and any sort of skirmish war game and stuff where they start off because they're a small company and they've got small sections of guys and then they go oh but we want to add these in and we want to add this in. and then it gets to a point where it doesn't fit on the tabletop and then you can't scale it whereas i want a game it could be even card based like old school war game you know where it's got cards on one side of the card it's sort of individual people on the other side of the card it's units and it can scale mm. basically depending on how much space you've got and that was my mm. idea that you've got a scalable war game that can be played on a coffee table but could scale up to a six by four or, or bigger depending on how many people you've got and i kind of wanted to go in that direction so i've got all these things i wanted to do with it and just not done it basically so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of these the more people making the more people making games the better it's like when people complain that tsr or, or wizards of the coast now are this big monolith who are destroying gaming it's a rising tide that lifts all ships when yeah. D is doing well 
everyone's doing well. When 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 D and D suddenly appears on cartoons or TV shows or in the general zeitgeist, and everyone everyone now knows what D and D is, and Fifth Edition is selling like hotcakes. This is not bad for gaming. This is not bad for the yeah. hobby. This yeah. is the best. We're in a literal golden age where you can buy any game you want is out there. Yeah. If, Everyone's making games, and the the quality of games is, on average, can be quite good. I yeah. I find myself getting slightly. Kickstarter is both is a very much a double edged sword for me to the point where I've had to stop kicking doing stuff on Kickstarter because yeah. I was getting a bit too addicted. It was like back Apart in the day. Apart from our next Kickstarter, of course, of course, guys. Apart from that, yeah, you're absolutely right. And also, there was recently the whole scare over. Kickstarter are going to use um, cryptocurrency or, or uh, crypto coin. to underline yeah, it. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Ah. no. Hated the concept of that. And luckily for us, because we, we, were, we were wondering, should our next project even be on Kickstarter? If they're going to be uh, working on crypto backends and all this sort of stuff, do we really want to be associated with that? And it seems like the they've, taken heed of all these warnings that the people have been telling them and they've sort of kind of shelved it and said let's reinvestigate it later which in my mind means they're never going to do it thankfully oh good okay see i've got it i've got this first world problem and uh, it's not it's 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 kind of buyer's remorse meets sort of um it's like a stress that i get when i buy stuff from kickstarter um because i haven't played it um it just sits there and then I get really stressed out because it's sitting there and it's got nice things and I haven't done anything with it. And but it's like, yeah, but I haven't done anything with that last thing that I did and I want to do that. And I start getting really panicky and stuff and to the point where I'm just like, oh my God, I can't deal with this anymore. Well, what you should do is you, sh- you, should, you should look at it in a different way. If you reframe it as I'm supporting the industry, it doesn't matter if I never yeah. play it. I helped make it happen. Oh, that's that's genius. And if you think of it like that, <laughs> that's genius. you can have as many unopened boxes as you want. And, and to be fair, that is actually the the ethos that Kickstarter came into existence yep. with. And I think that's the thing that's been, in some regards, lost now, is that, you know, the idea of Kickstarter, and it wasn't games, it was just general as well. Yeah. That's the other thing. Games has embraced it and taken it to the nth degree. But the idea was, I've got this thing that I want to make. I can't afford to do it. I want to make it. Do you want a copy of it if I make it? And that's yeah. that's what it's about. And to me, in a way, some of this, some of the things that happen on Kickstarter now aren't representative of the initial ethos. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. you know, a lot of this these... lamp, Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, nice. I, I try not to buy tech on, 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 on Kickstarter anymore. I've been burned so many times with tech <laughs> and stuff. It's just they're always well, late. Very, they're always very they're not as good as they sort of tend. To, uh, they're shown to be, and yeah, yeah I'm I'm a bit weird with tech. Well, I think now. it is it is a it is a frame of mind change almost. It's like I I sort of feel myself now if I, I back something, it's because I want to help that person make it. And if it goes wrong, although it's a little bit disappointing, especially if I've put a lot of money in, mm. that is what Kickstarter is about. It's you're not one is not buying, one is supporting something happening. I find yeah. myself backing some of the more old school war games and stuff <coughs> now, sort of just you know the ones that are smaller, and um, yeah. just because it's like you know I, 
I loved games like that when I was growing up and stuff like that. And, you know, it's not going to be full of nice pretty minis and things like that, but it's sort of, you know, I just like the idea. So I find myself backing mm. stuff like that. I think that's I think that's cool. I mean, I, I don't back that much stuff now, but what I tend to back is either friends or, or colleagues stuff or, or, or something that I really just want. Um, and if I want it and it, it doesn't happen, it'll be disappointing because it hasn't happened rather than I've lost them 30 or 40 or 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, was, there was one I backed that, let me see if I can find it. It should be up here somewhere. I backed it, not because I wanted to play it, but I backed it because I wanted other people, I wanted it to exist. I wanted this RPG What's it called? Oh, is, Good Society. Which is called Good Society, a Jane Austen RPG. <laughs> ah. No way. And it is for a market of, and you get these cards with it and everything. And I'll never play it, but I wanted it to exist because I want people that aren't me to play games. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I think it's just good. I, like I, you're, I you're, think, you're fulfilling somebody's dream as well. They've created yeah, I something. Also, I also think that Jane Austen is one of the finest comedy writers England's ever had, yeah. but that's another story. <laughs> People seem to forget it's funny. Thing is, there is like I, I am, uh, I'm not as noble. I'm, a, I think I'm generally quite a noble chap. But when it comes to sort of pretty things, it's like, ooh, I, <laughs> I back stuff because they're shiny and they've got lovely little miniatures and they, they do stuff like yeah. that. Sort of. But I've got a lot of friends who do similar things. They'll back stuff just for the sake of that's a cool. That's a cool thing. We've had people. It should exist. Yeah, we've had people on the podcast again. They just sort of go, "That should exist." That you know, well, I'm going to back mm. that, and I think that's a really good. That's a noble cause, right there. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. that's it, and it's what you want out of something as well, isn't it? It's whether you want it to be, you know, some some kickstarters are all about getting a shed load of stuff for mm-hmm. as little money as possible, like. So, you know, some of the big companies that produce sort of miniatures, you, the miniatures cost about 20p each when you do the maths on how much they're, they're, um, you're, you've paid for it. Whereas that's doable if you're a big company. Whereas if you're a small company, you can't afford to do that on a smaller scale. So, yeah. again, if you're looking for a bargain, then obviously you can get that on Kickstarter. But again, that's not necessarily the objective. And also, these bigger companies have much more experience and capabilities to get it right as well. So when you have somebody that's ballsed it up or they've done something wrong or, you know, they, they're late because they, they didn't get it right from their sort of um, expected delivery. And this, this is one of my bugbears, by the way, I'll get to that in a second, but it's, um, it, 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 it's a very different kettle of fish. If you talk about one of the really big companies that use Kickstarter versus one of the little ones. And, yeah. You know, some of the some of the game companies that have become big because of Kickstarter that now keep going back and getting their three or four million dollar Kickstarters or eight or nine in the case of things like Exploding Kittens and such like, you know, do they really need to go back again? I don't know. Mm. It seems to me that they shouldn't. But and what I was going to say that I've just remembered is expected delivery dates. So when somebody sets up a Kickstarter, they have to put an expected delivery date down. If they expect their Kickstarter to have, say, 500 backers, that's the date they put down. If their Kickstarter then has 1,000, 1,500, 5,000, you are not allowed to change your expected delivery date. Yeah. So if you unlock (coughs) the extra stuff, you can't change your delivery date. 
and then you then you can get beaten up verbally via Kickstarter for not hitting your Kickstarter date. So, for example, Slay, second edition, we had a ten thousand uh, fulfillment. So it it it, it was going to happen at ten thousand. We ended up with ninety thousand or just over. So nine times nine times the amount. We couldn't change the expected delivery date, even though we ended up with more more pages in the book other bits being printed as well and then take um terminator 10 to 10 became 135 it was over it's over over two thousand backers yeah. throwing good money and, and you suddenly realize just how suppose it's very... you want to make sorry carry on, carry on. no you you want to make everybody really really happy not just because you want them to come back and buy more but you want to deliver a quality product you want mm. to say you want to you want to have something seeing as we're on geek pride you want to have something you're proud of mm-hmm. something you can wave around you see me grabbing the books out and going haha look at my books <laughs> because i'm proud of the ones i've done i'm i'm proud of what we do we don't cut corners on quality on art or anything like that so you have to be able to do that and when the numbers start getting bigger and bigger and you start adding and fulfilling all the promises you're making it's very, very hard to meet an expected delivery date when your expected delivery date was for a book and you're suddenly doing three and dice and you've got shipping from China yeah. to take into contention with because no one in Europe is going to make your dice for that money. So you're going to have to add Chinese delivery dates on mm. top of that. And then suddenly there's an, an, uh, an expectation when the when cardboard cardboard gets rare, cardboard gets rare and suddenly you can't buy plastic because they can't put it in the boxes to ship it from China. Yeah, I it's... yeah, I I get very frustrated with people on the comments section in um um like the the worst I'll put on a comment section is um uh, you know you you said it would be with this this month what's the score uh and then they yeah. they, they say you know it, it's coming here and that's fine with me but you get a lot of people going this is a scam uh you know and I yeah. I enact my right to do this and blah 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 yeah. and I was like come on guys you know how Kickstarter there's works a, yeah, there's just, a way around this and this is something that we learned from Mark Rapson we aren't at Nightfall me and Dave aren't aren't Kickstarter people really we were against the idea in the start but Mark is really good at it. And the thing that he taught us was communication, constant status updates, communication, never lie, always tell the truth, always be honest, always put out a really good communication on where we stand. He's got these, Mark will probably show you one at one point if if he's got enough time to (laughs) dig into his computer and hold it up to the screen. But no, he does these um, spreadsheets which say which sections are complete which sections are in process who's doing which bits where we're at in the big picture and here he goes no you have to wait a bit oh. longer get oh, well, okay. but um he'll on these spreadsheets it's got which bits have done which bits have done expected dates deliveries and because of that we never have anyone saying where's my books you yeah. said they'd be here because if they just read the last uh, update they know exactly where their books are they know exactly what stage they're in, and communicating this to your to your backers is part of the contract you should enter into when you when you when you give when you take their money. Yeah, that, that you tell them where their money is. That for me is definitely one hundred percent. I I'm I'm quite a patient person. My uh, it um in general, and I and I understand mm. things go wrong. But when people don't update you, 
people automatically yeah. Yeah. jump to the worst case conclusion and then you get stuff like this if you've got a constant flow of you know what this is happening or we're doing this or you know they're 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 yeah. not sort of they're being honest with you, and I, I, I love that. I prefer, you know, half the time I don't read. I, I get losing notifications, but there's some companies that do it on a weekly basis, and I'm, half the time I don't read it, but at least I know they're doing something, and then I'm happy enough just to sort of kind of go along with oh, it. Oh, nice. If you turn your blur background off, Mark, it'll... Uh... I don't know how to do that. Yeah. That's oh, the right. One, that... See where it's got your camera at the bottom, the picture of the camera? There's a change background button. And you just change that to don't do anything. <laughs> Blurry spreadsheets. Oh, yeah. yeah, there we go. Hey, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Yeah, there we go. Right. See, this is technology. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh look at that. We're, We're looking at his thumb now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this later. Uh, <laughs> he's gone. He's gone now. Oh, he's off. Technologies. I think he dropped his camera. He Technolo- broke his oh, oh, there, there he is. There we are. back. I'm back, I'm back again, but hopefully you can see that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you that's go. It. Nice. Yeah. So we got spreadsheets. It's, it's, we... it's just Google. Uh, it's just Excel, and yeah. I just yeah. do it as we go along. And you know, I update when 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 there's something to update. But yeah. things like this along here, you know, Dave's done 114 of the 137 art pieces, yeah. for example, and it's stuff like that. And interesting, we've actually had other people that now copy us when we do this. They literally have said, "We do, we do this like nightfall." Yeah, so. that, that's a good idea. Happy. And I think that was your happy to do that. Yeah, I think, please steal it. Yeah, that, I think that was the problem with your mate, and I feel bad now after because I, I feel like I need to get, I feel like I feel like I need to get him on the podcast just to sort of kind of so he can say his piece. But um, you know, uh, he um, obviously whatever issues was going on in the background, there was literally radio silence for months. And and then everybody just started jumping to conclusions and stuff. And I think that's where the frustration was born because there yeah. wasn't anything and, and, happening and, and stuff. I, I could, the reason I do this now is because I had a, a Kickstarter that that before before Nightfall. So I, I have another company called Wordforge Games, and um, I did a Kickstarter for something called D Day Dice. And D Day Dice was a ten thousand Kickstarter that ended up doing two hundred and forty. Fuck. I actually think I remember um, D-Day Dice. I was debating getting that. <laughs> well, it was it was traumatic. Um, we ran out of money because it was massively over. Um, I had to find £100,000 of my own money or loans, whatever, to get it finished, which I did and paid myself back eventually as well. But that's why I have a lot of feeling for people that are in that situation because... I I set up with that company and I had a, a business partner who was the artist and he basically spent a number of months working on a, his own project that he didn't tell me about and therefore didn't do the work, eventually bailed on this project, left me holding the baby metaphorically. I was very down in the dumps as a result and I only completed it because I've got a sense of honour, but, you know, he's he's wandered off and done his own thing and... You know, a really, really big mess. And people hated me and said lots of horrible things about it. And it was depressing. And I didn't want to look at the Kickstarter. And therefore, I didn't update. And, therefore, and now look at you. Therefore... You've got the Terminator RPG. Yeah. <laughs> See, and do you know what? I I think that's... you. you, you... 
I try my best to be uh, to understand that there's humans behind these things as mm, much as yes. I want my pretty things and stuff. So I, I'm quite mellow in general when it comes to it. But I can see yeah. that people just they see I've got a product. I want said product. Therefore, you're an asshole because you haven't done it. And I think they all have yeah. to understand that there is this human factor behind it. And there is, especially new companies who are doing this, that they, you know, things go wrong. And, yeah. you know, you've got to exactly. cut them some slack um, and not bitch about them on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I mean, it's valid. I mean, it, this is the thing is, if, you, if we hadn't been talking about it, you wouldn't have ever been aware of some of the things that people in the... The, the person who's doing it um, are going through and it generally from my experience the people that do it are it's all great when it's going well but then it goes pitong and people get depressed and yeah. sometimes suicidal and sometimes they actually commit suicide now unfortunately not or fortunately very few get that far but sometimes people have to walk away from it i was fortunate yeah. that i could raise 100k but there's not that many that can no. so and that was that wasn't because i'd spent i was 100k in the hole it was a cash flow issue and because i'd been massively shafted by the distribution company because everyone's got to take their cut, and sometimes mm. they do so at your expense. Yeah, I feel like you should write a a, a Kickstarter best practice guide or something for new <laughs> for new Kickstarters. Not until he's finished his other work on books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I've only killed the the first boss in Elden Ring because I've been too busy on Terminator <laughs> to spend. Yeah. You know, I'm not rise tarnished. I am. I have my maiden, and I am not maidenless. But all that, all that Elden Ring stuff that everyone's going through right now, and I've not played it as much as I wanted to because Terminator. I haven't, played, I haven't played a computer game for about five years. I haven't read a book properly. I've read one book in the last three years just because my time is spent on... So my spare creating. time is spent on yeah. being creative. Um, as an example of getting shafted by distribution companies, um, when I was doing D-Day Dice, I, the, the distribution company suggested or, or told me that they would, they would ship stuff that was going to china from their hub or their hub partner in um in australia new zealand obviously i agreed to that i had no idea to think it was anything wrong with that so these products had been shipped from canada sorry not from canada they've been shipped from china to the uk to australia back to china fucking hell and the the bit from from australia to china cost me 232 pound the pledge was 50 quid Ooh. that's the sort of thing that can happen if you're not careful what? that's so, why i have my own distribution company yeah so because i'm thinking oh, by the way if you want your games distributing <laughs> if you want kickstarters distributing well i know who to go when my awesome game comes out yeah <laughs> <laughs> So what see, any, see, that's one one of the things we we should do as part of the game publishing community is we should welcome newcomers, mm. help people out. Uh, mm. I did a thing recently where I put an InDesign template up, which was basically a download this InDesign template. It will give you a D and D book or a role playing book at the absolute basics. It gets you past the the, the first 
couple of weeks of learning how to put a book together before you can actually put your content in. Just put it up on a on an insider uh, industry insider Facebook page, and I don't even know if people used it or not. I don't care as long as somebody read it and went, yeah. "Oh, so that's how you do that." Because <laughs> anything we can do to help those coming up behind us, because we might want to hire them. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Just or, we might, or we might want their stuff that they make. <laughs> yeah. Or we might want their games. We might want to buy their stuff. We want to support them to yeah. make the whole. There's stuff that's happening in gaming right now that we, the younger generation, are bringing new things to gaming that we never thought possible. Systems, uh, the independent systems we're using now, are built on 20 or 30 years of gaming background by people who are able to look back at them with fresh eyes and go, "This is great. This doesn't work now. This doesn't work now." This whole the whole session zero stuff, the uh, X cards, all the things yeah. that make playing at conventions and stuff like that. My generation would never have done that. We'd have just said, "Suck it up, Buttercup," and slapped <laughs> you about a bit and said, "You don't. We don't want you in go- in gaming because you got girl co- cooties or whatever." Um, it it's taken a long time for us to get to this stage, and this wouldn't happen if young people didn't come into the industry. So yeah help them at any opportunity we can if someone t- if someone were to email me or well not email if they get me on twitter or facebook and say i'm struggling with book production how do i prepare this for a printer or something like that there is no way on this planet that i would say fuck off shrimp yeah I, this is the sort of thing you go oh i can help here as long as it doesn't take more time than i've got gladly step in and say yeah. right have you done this have you done that what's your paper size who's your printer what what What's your trap? What's your bleed? What's your things that other th- things that you haven't even thought of yet? How's your page flow working? All these things. And more than willing to help people out. There's a great example of this where um, somebody that we were collaborating with, I, he was he was my point of contact. So I was doing stuff with him, and, and he and I were talking about layout. And um, he said, "Oh, we should do it this way, that way, or the other way." And I was like, "Okay, well, I need I want to talk to Jared about it because Jared knows what it's was." He's like, "Who's this? Jar- who's who's Jared? Who's who's this Jared?" And I said, "Oh, well, he's one of the people that owns the company, but he's also very good at InDesign." And he went, "I'm very good at InDesign. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what this Jared's talking <laughs> about." So anyway, this person, um, I put him directly in contact with Jared, and then about a week later, I spoke to him again, and he said. Jared's amazing. Jared knows more than I've ever seen anybody do in InDesign ever. And he ain't wrong. What is, so, Indes- what's, what is InDesign, sorry? Um, it's the, you know, Microsoft Word? Yes. You build a what document out of Microsoft Word. If you want to print that uh, document as a book professionally, you, do, you use a layout application where you take your text you put it in columns you add the art and all that sort of stuff that's InDesign is the industry standard ah right okay uh used to be page maker quark express uh calamus uh, all the older ones like that but then eventually InDesign is it took over as the industry standard it's the 240 quid a year or is it every no, yeah 240 quid a year on the adobe subscription there are other ones like uh, Publisher, which, what's it called? Affinity Publisher, which is thirty yeah. quid or something. Nearly as good, but you, you can you can if if you can't use InDesign, you can use Affinity Publisher, and you can build a book with that. But I yeah. use InDesign because it's it's the eight hundred pound gorilla. It yeah. does, and it is, it is really good. I mean, um, I always sort of sort of describe myself as I'm I'm GCSE level, getting close to first year A level, AS maybe. Jared's degree. Masters level, that's it, and that's the thing. I can do stuff, but 
I always go, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> we so, have our own cloud, you see, and, 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 and all of our documents are served, shared on the on our on the Nightfall cloud. Um, I run a small own cloud on one of my dedicated servers because I, I, I run a small hosting business as a side project to my uh, IT consultancy. So okay. we've got space on a server for our own Dropbox service. The, because it's self-hosted, we've got 50 or 60 gigabytes of files nice. flying all over the place yeah. all the time. And it means that Mark can pick up the latest document that I've done and he can then tweak it a bit, save it, and then... I get it back with his changes, and it's all collaborative. Okay. Um, Has Mark's camera frozen? I think he has. Because... Or is he just really happy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't ask him the question. No, he's not here. He's gone. No, he'll be back. He's disappeared. He'll be back. Gone. I bet. I suspect his internet's fallen over. Yeah. He's having his house remodeled, which means his... Um, it... So digital um, infrastructure in his house is a bit. Well, well, he sort of kind of got off. Uh, what sort of so um, you've got the Terminator Kickstarter? Is that still going? Yeah, yeah it's still on. No, no, we're we're no, that finished a while ago. Okay. Um, brought in one hundred and thirty thousand pounds, right. over two thousand backers, wow. and we're working on the book right now. And um, we've go on. What have you got going at the minute? Nothing. No, nothing. Okay, right. Okay. And I can tell you why. Okay. I can explain the, the, the reason. We were supposed to have uh, Demon Dog, which is a side project. We literally did as a fun thing to do to keep, uh, to keep us sane while we were working on the big projects. Dave and I just rattled out this uh, punk Merc Borg game because Dave had an idea and we just ran with it. That's the way most things happen at nightfall. Dave has an idea and I just run with it. Um <laughs> So we approached Kickstarter to say, could we do it last December? And they brought in a new rule that unless you have completed, completed, like delivered to people, four Kickstarters, you can't run more than one Kickstarter at a time. Oh, interesting. Okay. And that hit us and stopped us from being able to do what we wanted to do. But weirdly, I agree with them. I actually, I think it's a good rule. I, I, as as much as it derailed our plans, it's it's a good it's a good solid rule to have because there were people who were before they've completed one they'll start another one to pay for the first one, and then they'll just end up in a cycle where they can never get out of it. Um, so until so while we we've got the Slay Industries collateral Kickstarter, we're working on the books to fulfil. We've got the uh, Terminator role playing game Kickstarter that we're working on to fulfil. And once those two have been delivered to the public, we can then have our fourth Kickstarter after Slay Second Edition, Slay Collateral, and Terminator. And once we have done our fourth Kickstarter, which is going to be Demon Dog, the Merkwall Punk game, once we've done that, we will then have delivered four Kickstarters. And then our plans open up with Stokerverse and the other stuff. He's back. Hello again, Mark. He's back. He's back. Hello. I don't know what happened. It just booted me. <laughs> yeah, just, you you froze you. with Get a nice away. smile on your face. And you were just like this. <laughs> Ironically, you and, were you were all the same. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to... So gonna... I, was just explaining, I was just explaining to the podcast about the uh, Kickstarter you can't do more than one at a time because they're saying what have you got on kickstarter at the moment yes. and the answer is nothing not until we've delivered our fourth kickstarter which is likely the, to be the ironic thing because we've technically done 
two and we're about to do the third one but i as an individual have now done 14 <laughs> and we did and we did cs1 as well under a different company yeah. name yeah so we've technically we, we should be allowed to but like i was saying i agree with the kickstarter rule yeah. that you shouldn't be allowed to start a kickstarter until you've delivered and and, and and to be fair, although it's frustrating for us, we are two that are yet to be delivered. So it sort of makes sense. And I yeah. know that there are examples of um, companies that have got seven, eight or nine that they never completed and they were just pumping them out without fulfilling. So I think it, it, make, it does make sense, but it is very frustrating. Yes. Especially as we know that we are going to do it and we have got no intention of not fulfilling and not doing anything else. There's no way of knowing if we're in good standing or not unless we deliver four Kickstarters. Yeah. I get it. Like, mm. But like Mark said, it is frustrating. So yeah. as soon as as soon as we have finished the current ones, we will have a little one and then... So nothing, nothing to pimp at this moment in time, basically. Oh, God, no. We're not here <laughs> to pimp. We're here to... to Educate, educate as well. <laughs> I, I feel like I've learnt. Yes. I've, I think I've learnt some uh, some very good lessons today. So yeah, it's been it's very <laughs> been very yeah. good. Um, One more question uh, before yeah. I let you go and stuff. Um, we were, you were talking about sort of like so a lot of this stuff on Kickstarter. It's all sort of created, uh, sorry, built in in China and stuff. And then there's obviously the issues with transport and um, getting things back and forth. And they do it because of it's cheaper. But is there? Would it be better? to have it done more locally and just pay more? We print in Europe. Yeah. We print in Europe. Yeah. We've, yeah. we've always printed in Europe because it's... So, well, I got burnt in 94 or 95, I think it was, with uh, China uh, Chinese shipping for the Mort Source book when Wizards of the Coast insisted on getting it printed in China and shipping it and it was just on boats for a very very long time and i thought this is why are we not just printing and wizards of the coast use carter money in belgium why couldn't we just use someone like that so so we use we currently use a, a printer in lithuania um because they're very very good a lot of games industry people use them and that works printing in the uk doesn't work though we tried that Ooh, um, is, most companies that print in uk actually print in europe and drop ship to the uk ah, yeah. claim it's british all right they lie <laughs> and and yeah another th- another thing that's quite um problematic at the moment with china is not only is it more expensive but um and obviously there's all the mess with the containers are all in the wrong place so it's a lot slower to get it mm. But the container costs have gone from approximately two to three thousand pounds to sixteen thousand. So if you imagine a product, you're you're arguably adding two to three pounds per product, which is significant, especially when as we talked about before, how much it costs to you know, how much you have to give away to distribution and rightly so, so that everyone gets their cut, distribution yeah. and, and, and retail, etc. So because you, you can't say to your distribution company, oh, sorry, it's cost me an extra three quid. I'm not going to give you that cut. It's just not doable. So, yeah, I, I think at the moment, um, and board games is probably more important that, that there is UK ability because board games cost a lot more because they're bigger and also uh, they take up more space in a container same thing really but um when you add in all the taxes and such like books tend to be cheaper 
to, to with regards to tax. There yeah. isn't tax on books in this country. Tax in most of Europe is less for books than it is for for games. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I believe that there's going to be a point if it doesn't improve where we may see fewer board games. Yeah, which yeah. it's one of those sort of things. It's just like. I, you know we're spoiled for choice for board games but then you're 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 stifling people's creativity and stuff and it's just sort of you know it's um it's a horrible yeah i mean interesting i've i've done i've crunched the numbers on certain products that i was going to do uh board game wise and and quite simply i don't think i can make it work at the moment Mm. um because the shipping's more expensive for me to ship the stuff taxman wants his 20 percent as well on board games which doesn't help Plus, you've got everything else going on as well. So, really, to me, I think I think board games, as far as I'm concerned, aren't going to be something I do much. Whereas books are less and affected by that. There is also a cardboard and paper shortage yeah. that's hitting the pipeline. Um, that several companies doing Kickstarters and trying to fulfil print jobs, they're encountering problems that they didn't anticipate at the beginning. Which is, it happens. You don't but, think but like cardboard no and paper. Way. You think you just cut no. some trees down. It's fine. It's, yeah. it's, it's not an issue. How do you move? How do you move those trees around? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then why are we buying our paper from China? Yeah. Why? Why is it coming from? Because they don't have the environmental controls we do, and they can do it cheaper and all this, all this sort of stuff. And and then suddenly when Brexit happens, then even worse, COVID happens, and then even worse, other stuff. Although COVID, I think, was pretty much it. COVID started mm-hmm. a pipeline a delivery um pipeline blockage that caused a backlog for everything and it's moving the boxes to get things to put to put the things in the boxes was such a problem that people had stuff waiting for boxes to arrive before they could ship them in china and then when they shipped them they then had a backlog where they had to wait because there was another shipment of something else coming in before it and all this sort of stuff that you can never anticipate and it's just I'm just glad that Mark has to think about that instead of me. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks, mate. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Well, teamwork. Yeah. Mm. Hashtag teamwork. Delegation. Yeah. <laughs> That's teamwork. Makes teamwork. teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, well, I, 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 I honestly, I think I could carry on talking to you guys for many hours, but uh, <laughs> it's school night and I've got work tomorrow. But um, yeah. yeah, will we be seeing you at the UK Games? Expo? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, UKG. We are both oh, there. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. We'll see you there. Yep. Yeah, we're we're looking forward to it, and and hopefully we'll be there with a a, a robot. Oh, amazing. I'm not bringing my one that I'm not one bring- that does not feel one that you that does not stop. <laughs> i'm not bringing my wallet with me this time pete um or if i do you're 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 keeping a hold of my credit card so oh, i'll look after your credit card trust me <laughs> it's like the last time yeah. I, I tell us the last time we were in ukge i um i bought a load of stuff i went i can't sort of um how am i gonna bring this home with me so i had to go come back the next day with a suitcase so i can wow. get it all back with me I should have said I'd have, I'd have taken it, but uh, I would have looked after you. I took it home my car. Honestly, board games are like, we like people my like crack. You to come to our stall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, come see us. Yeah, I come just sort of like pretty things, must buy. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, well, we will. We definitely we've got our press passes, so uh, we'll yeah. uh, we'll definitely yeah. be down to see us. Um, we'll 
probably have a few of our friends tagged onto our stall. Excellent. Um, so that, that we're all in the same place and easy to find. Yeah, we'll probably rephrase that. We're all sharing the same stand. They're not tagged onto ours. I can't see it any other way. How to make <laughs> friends and influence people by this is another. Them. This is another thing that I leave to Mark. He <laughs> He's more so diplomatic. much better than me. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean it is. We we will be we we look a book block block book. That's the yeah one. yeah. Awesome. So we because we, we like we actually like to be with our mates, I guess is yeah. the best way of putting it. So yeah. we're gonna be there with handiwork games, we're gonna be there with Britannia games, oh. we're gonna be there with a, a company called Dice Sports who you may have heard of. Um although yeah. they're they're the ones they, who did um uh Dice Sports are the Airflix guys, aren't they? They are mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, I'll have to apologize to him when yeah, I see yeah. him then. I'll have a shot. a pint at the weather Yeah, I'll go. I'm sorry, NEC. man. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Mark you heard proper first. guilt tripped me, and I feel really bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goody, goody. Yeah, and we're also going to be sharing with RP Haven, which I don't know if you guys are aware of them, but they're um, a charity uh, role playing mm-hmm. place. Uh, group that's based in london they've now got a set up in edinburgh i believe they're in wales somewhere as well so yeah there's um that we've got a nice group of of uh, companies that we're working with and share the stand with and you know pass pass the punters around and and homies say, help homies yeah exactly it's good it's great Right, chaps. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've had a ball. Like I said, I could carry on talking to you all night and stuff. I love stuff like this, especially all the little factoids and things. I love things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's been a pleasure. You're more than welcome uh, to come back on whenever you want. If you've got a new uh, Kickstarter yeah, or you yeah. just want to have the shit the shit, by all means, right. come back. Well, as soon as we're ready to pimp something, we'll be we'll be at your Yeah, and very nice Excellent. to meet you both as well. Yeah, you yep. too. Nice we'll, we'll, we'll see you in June at UKGE. Yeah, um, definitely. So for tonight, I've been Matt Geary. With me has been Peter Ray Allison. Good night, everyone. Jared Earl. Ah. <laughs> and Mark Robson. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.